Hello, Marcus. I got my flu shot today, and I still don't listen to I Doubt It with Dalimore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalimore. Alright everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 627 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page. So I was driving home from work yesterday. and As, as you do every day. Yeah, and I was in traffic and, because it's Southern California. <laughs> and uh i was on the 405 oh. at this point yeah gotta give that information california yeah and uh i had uh just been on the 605 got on the mm. 405 and headed to the 55 <laughs> no 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 i don't get off on the 55 i passed oh. the 55 on the okay. 405 yeah, yeah. yeah okay. um <laughs> <laughs> what what it doing Anyway, go on. Yeah. So, um, you know, here in California, and I don't think it's like this across the nation, but motorcycles can um, go through traffic. Split lanes, yeah, you split mean. Lanes. All motorcycles go through traffic, but... That's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Split lanes where they go down the dotted line and it's kind of scary. Yeah. Like, let's say you got a, a, th- a three lane highway. Yeah. You got your car in the far left in the fast lane. You've got a car right next to that off to the right. Yeah. And in between, motorcycles weave in and out. Yes. Legal. There are a few states, but it's pretty rare. It's not a normal thing. Yeah. So um, in traffic and a guy on a motorcycle passes... And I see that on his shoulder, he has strapped to him what looks like a dog wearing sunglasses. And I look at it and... Like, that's a weird accessory. Yeah, I'm like, is that a stuffed animal? Because we're on the freeway, on the mo- on the motorcycle. Yeah. And no, the dog turned its head and started looking around its a little hair fluffing around in the wind <laughs> it was the craziest thing i've ever yeah, seen you thought you're hallucinating or something yeah i was like what the hell that's a real dog that he's wearing on his shoulder wearing sunglasses what uh what what kind of dog was it um, I'm not really good with identifying dogs okay, but well, it was like a terrier type oh, okay. dog so it- not a German Shepherd or no, 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 a Husky. No, no, no. I mean, the dog it could not have weighed more than ten pounds. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I get it was it. a yeah. very small, cute dog, um, and it looked like it was having a good time. Core. I mean, once you get past the the terror of going eighty miles, because if this <laughs> if this car was passing you, yeah. You were likely at a good clip. Well, no, we weren't going full speed. I was in traffic, so oh, okay, probably okay. going like thirty. Okay. Yeah. But on the interstate where once it opens up, yeah. people are going 80, 85, 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yikes. But that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that. I've never seen someone wearing their dog on them on I a motorcycle. Just, some of it is even like, how do... Th- that's a relaxed fucking dog. I mean, that's, a, oh, that's yeah. a dog who's open to some good times because 
One, <laughs> he's letting you strap him in and take you on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Two, how's he? I mean, we, I can't imagine. You put a, a blanket on top of Popeye and he loses his mind. I can't imagine trying to put sunglasses on him. Oh, yeah. He would not like that. But when you said uh, the dog was open to a good time, I automatically thought of the big five personality quiz that he would have scored high on openness to experience this dog. <laughs> um, you're, that's, you're speaking Greek, but I, I get the gist. I yes. Think. Yes. Um, well, another day in the life of California, everybody. I know. It's. I'm just happy it wasn't a mattress that I had to... That... It's all the time. Or a couch. People who think they're the Hulk and they're holding down the mattress with one arm that's just strapped with twine to their Toyota Camry. Yeah, it's it's a pretty regular occurrence that there is some type of furniture on the freeway that you have to... That just like went overboard on, on somebody's move. Yeah, you have to dodge it because it's just on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. Normally it's like a... A piece of a tire, like a retread that came off. Mm-hmm. And here it's mattresses and yeah. chest of drawers. Yeah. <laughs> Although that happened to me the other day, too. A, a part of a tire was flipping yeah, down the road and it hit my car. And yeah. there's a chunk taken out of my bumper now. Yeah. Very. What are you, you going to do, man? Very unhappy with that. 405. <laughs> that was actually on the 605. On the 605, everybody. You get your freeway straight. Crazy times. It is Traffic crazy Traffic and weather together on the edge, everybody. Here at I'm with Dynamore. So, and there's a good time. So, listen, um, we got a little gift to the P.O. Box that mm. we want to talk about. We love... Well, who doesn't love little gifts to the P.O. Box? Yeah. We, well, We're we, not unique in that we love little gifts to the P.O. Box. Well, the reason we got the P.O. Box was for the little gifts. I think it was actually because of death threats. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Not really the gifts. When we went to the post office that day because of the death threats after being doxxed, we didn't think, you know, there's probably an ancillary benefit to this that we might get little gifts. Because at that moment, little gifts probably would have been like a fucking pipe bomb. You know, it's easy for me to forget about the death threats. Yeah, because your name's not on it. <laughs> Um, no, I think I'm just trying to put them out of my mind, okay? They haven't happened lately. We've been on a good run. That is right. Okay, so we got these beautiful gifts, and I'm going to read the note here, and then we'll talk about um, more about the gifts. So, Jess and Britt, love your show and all you guys are about, fuckers. I started... (laughs) (laughs) What have we done? What have we created? (laughs) I started making these 40-something years ago. I share them with all my friends and family. Some atheists don't do Christmas. I do. Flipping it over here. It reminds me of the best parts of my childhood. Ho, 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 bitches. (laughs) Sorry, I'm having a hard time reading this in a consistent tone. Yeah. Uh, Popeye's the best part. Can you tell I have a thing for gingers? LOL. Check my Facebook. And then it says Jack Schwend, Schwend? Yeah. Um, TSGT, retired USAF. Uh, I think that's like technical sergeant. I, Air Force ranks are like Chinese characters to me. I have no fucking idea what they are. Like, I don't even know if that's an E4 or an E9. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jack Schwend. Yes. US. Air Force veteran. Yes. And and what he sent was, by the way, spoiler alert. Yeah. We have to talk about these now. Little handmade, awesome 
uh, Christmas ornaments, Christmas tree ornaments, like a little, it's a little elf, a little ginger elf with a candy cane staff. Yes. And we, it makes me want to, maybe during Christmas, have a little tiny tree on top of the table here. Yeah. And then... Uh, oh, in your, like, in your shop, And maybe even in the videos. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be cool. That would be awesome. And then we could feature these prominently. But, so he said in the letter here that he has been making these for 40-something years. Yeah. So he... He handmade these. They're so... They're badass. They're so lovely. The pattern here on this elf's sweater, around the hat, on the pointed boots. I mean, we're going to take a picture of these and put them on the Instagram, but... To say that they're detailed is an understatement. They are... They're legit. Yeah, they're beautiful. And this one has a long ginger braid all the way down past the ass the the little elf ass yeah the little elf ass a nice little <laughs> redhead braid going yeah. all the way down um this one has facial hair that one looks like you nah it's a little that's a little that's like jolly guy beard shorter hair um yeah. but these are just beautiful and and that one doesn't like food as much as i do that's <laughs> he's a little bit more svelte <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we really love these. These are very um, fantastic. I know that you said some atheists don't do Christmas, Jack. We definitely do Christmas. We yeah. don't usually do a tree, though. Yeah. Much, much to Brittany's chagrin. Yeah, I, I think it's because, you know, we moved to Idaho and when I was five. And so I was used to always having like a white Christmas and we would get the tree. Yeah. And Christmas. The snow. Yeah. And it was like cold and snowy. And then I would like. And now we're Californians. I remember being young and just like sitting in front of the tree and like looking at it and smelling it and being like, this is just the best. The smell and yeah. the cold and it's just the best. Right. Yeah. So it feels a little less like Christmas being in California because it's like 70 degrees all the time. For sure. And you'll drive around and there's Christmas lights on houses and you wonder what the hell is no, going on here. I think it's even goofier that uh, and with, we got to get going here. We got a lot to talk about. But when, when people do the icicle lights, like oh, the yeah. icicle lights off yeah, their yeah. house and it's. It's 80 degrees. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's not at all. Especially when you're used to having a white Christmas. Exactly. Stick. What? What? What are you doing here? Yeah. Stick. So, <laughs> Jack, thank you very much yeah, for, for sure. the lovely gift. We appreciate it. And we will be displaying the elves prominently. I think it's a good idea to get a little tree. Yeah. And do the thing with yeah. the... And like then it'll be little, on the, on the YouTube. A Charlie Brown tree for yeah, you. Yeah, maybe. Get a couple other relevant ornaments. Yeah. <laughs> like no, a I Donald mean, Trump like ornament? a Charlie Brown one. Like a little scraggly-ass tree? Yeah. Oh, that might be funny. Yeah. Come on. Track with the conversation here. I said it's that like hard. 10 minutes ago. It's very hard. All right. Well... Two shows in a row, baby. Well, wake up. <laughs> drink another drink of that mimosa yeah, that you got there. Yeah, what are you going to do? So anyway... Let's get to some listener communication. We had a lot of conversations last show over the last course of the last shows that we want to, that callers wanted to touch on. First is the quitting, resigning, leaving of Fox News by venerated anchor Shepard Smith. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. It's Brett number two. Uh, I just wanted to call in about Shep Smith. Uh, I know it certainly seems like there are bigger things going on right now, but um, I did want to touch base. I was never 
as big of a fan as as you both were, How I dare felt you, sir. that he hung on far too long at a place that was um, clearly deteriorating in front of his eyes. But uh, the one thing I did want to want to say is I do think his loss is bigger than than we realize. A classic sort of technique of authoritarian, you know, state-run television is to have that sort of muse on on the air that that disagrees with or or that allows the audience to attack uh, the central point. And in this case, there were still some viewers that respected Shep. And my fear is now they get to add a boogeyman who has no respect. They're just going to find some far-out liberal that they can, you know, bash and, and turn their audience against. I mean, they do it on that ridiculous show, The Five, already, and... I, I worry that if their quote unquote fact checkers or newsmen become, you know, these people that, that the audience can so clearly and easily turn on without any retribution or without and the audience having the ability to say, well, he did provide my news for, you know, decades, then that, that's really when Fox News becomes state run media. Not that it isn't already, but, uh, but that's, I think, a bigger concern is that this just follows along the lines of more authoritarianism that is becoming all too commonplace in this country, Fox News especially, and yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to see. I don't, I, I won't miss Shep personally, but I think what this presents, this, you know, opportunity for Fox to hire somebody far worse is uh is concerning. So on that note, hope you all have a good week and uh talk soon. Always always disappoints me when Brett number 2 calls in. Not for the reason that I I'm disappointed that he called in, but it always reminds me that he doesn't have a thick Boston accent. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, well, shout out to Brett number two, long time listener, long time supporter of the show. He and his lovely wife, Allison, were early adopters of the program. Absolutely. Um, been around for a long time. We appreciate both of you. Um, yeah, I like I like he called us out. Right. Um, I think and I'm just going to speak for myself because who knows what what you think? Wow. Um, but wow. I I did think that that Shep was serving a purpose over there and kind of what Brett number two is talking about here, where who is going to go in his place now, you know, yeah. um, it is scary to think about that. I know, like we talked about, they have uh, Trace Gallagher filling in. Uh, I forgot who else they're going to have fill in. Um, but ultimately whoever they put there is is not going to be like Shep Smith. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's such a rare find, you know. Um, so it is scary to think about what's going to happen, who they're going to put in there. And I think it, it, it was important that he stayed for at least a time, you know. I don't know when it when it switched. But for me, like I said, it was when I listened to that, that podcast that really – um, yeah, changed yeah. my perspective on how he was giving them more legitimacy. Yeah. And I think that that is true. So so now they don't have that, right? If they put someone in who is hyper-partisan and they just kind of do away altogether with their news segment, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it, that for sure could be the way it goes. But I think just from a business standpoint, they want, they're going to want to try to maintain some semblance of 
objectivity relative to the news side of their operation. I just, it just seems like the best business practice. But, but who knows? I do, to speak to, uh, Brett number two's, Brett's, um, comment about Shep staying too long. I agree. I think he did stay too long, but I think it's easy to understand why he did that when you're in it from the inside, it's like the frog metaphor where, you know, if you, you put a frog in a pot in cold water and, and, and slowly increase the, the temperature, the frog just dies because it doesn't realize rather than dropping a frog in a hot pot that jumps the fuck out of there. I think that's kind of, you know, Shep Smith was a frog in a pot. He, he thought he could do, do good or do some different, make a change, make difference there. And he did to a degree, but he stayed way too long, not realizing that the waters around him were fetid and rotten and putrid. And I, I think he got out, uh, not on time, but it's good that he got out. Yeah, I'm eager to see who the replacement is. And if they, <laughs> the true test of whether or not they're a reasonable person will be how much the Fox News audience hates them. Yeah. So good luck to whoever it is, uh, if they are a reasonable person, because, you know, Shep wasn't on any type of social media. Yeah, it's probably for the best. And his Facebook that uh, it was Shep Smith reporting or whatever it was, uh, was just overrun by trash yeah, 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 and vitriol and hatred. So I do not know who it's going to be, but hopefully they can handle all of that because it's going to be coming their way. So thanks for the call, Brett. We appreciate it. Uh, next up, we didn't really talk about this on the show, but this t- t- took place on Facebook, I think in the uh, the listener the listener discussion group. The mm-hmm. Dollamore Listener Discussion Group is the name of it. And it involves... Ellen, Mm -hmm. there was a photograph taken of Ellen with George W. Bush, I think, in the owner's box at a a Dallas Cowboys football game. I think that was it. Yeah. That, for me, is enough to indict her that she shouldn't be at a fucking Cowboys game. But. (laughs) Is she from? No, I don't know. I have no idea. No, she's from Louisiana. Oh. But that would be the closest NFL team. All right. Is. It'd actually probably be the Houston Texans, but, you know, she Mm. went to Dallas. So anyway, uh, there was a lot of criticism that just was thrown on Helen, justifiably or justifiably not. On Ellen. On Ellen, what'd I say? Helen? Yeah. On Ellen DeGeneres. Anyway, and somebody posted about it. Al posted about it in the listener group. And it kind of, it, it became a discussion. And then I got involved very briefly. And then... I got out of it because I didn't feel like the conversation was being held in good faith by by Al, by mm-hmm. Alan. Mm-hmm. So quickly, let me read how the conversation went, and then we're going to play Alan's voicemail. Uh-huh. Just to give everybody, uh, first of all, the headline of the article, Ellen DeGeneres and George W. Bush bravely find common ground as rich white people. That's the headline from thebeaverton.com, whatever that is. So I said, would it have been okay? Because there was a lot of shit thrown Ellen's way for sitting next to George W. Bush. And by the way, on Twitter, the the preponderance of the criticism wasn't about their, their class. It wasn't about their richness or their whiteness. It was about her, a champion of liberalism and progressive causes, LGBT, you know, income inequality, those types of things. It was the criticism that she was sitting next to a warmonger, a war criminal, quote unquote, George W. Bush, 
So I asked the question, would it have been okay for her to sit next to Obama at a football game? And then rather than answering the question, the, the next comment from Alan was, that will be a case of her sitting next to another powerful and wealthy person, someone else from her economic class who also authorized appalling actions, deportations, drone attacks, etc. Which was my point, was that there's a lot of a lot of vitriol that I think is justifiably geared to George W. Bush for sure. Mm-hmm. But those same criticisms need to be leveled at Obama. And then I said, so no, because the question wasn't answered. It wouldn't have been okay. How about Hillary Clinton or Chuck Schumer, who also, by the way, both voted yes for the Iraq war. Who Who is writing this now? That's me. Okay. And then um, Alan said, why am I expected to choose? At that point, I decided this isn't a conversation that's being had in good faith. Mm-hmm. That he's not answering my question. If we're going to have a conversation, uh-huh. if I ask a question, it should be answered. And then if he asks a question, I will answer it. Well, I'm also confused by the response of why should I be expected to choose? I mean, that's not the point of what you wrote, right? Making a choice right. is not the point of what you wrote. And then because I was frustrated that this wasn't productive, mm-hmm. I said, good talk. And then I didn't respond again. Mm. So anyway, I think Alan left the group because this is all a bunch of fucking Facebook drama. But anyway, I think we should just get to the call and we can talk about it. Hello, uh, Jesse and Brittany. This is Al from Toronto. And I'm taking uh, Jesse's um, suggestion that I call in with my, uh, with uh, um, regarding the um, Ellen DeGeneres and George W. Bush photo. Um, it seems to me that Americans don't like talking about class very much. And when I was looking at, when I looked at that photo, as, as many other people did, that they saw, uh, they came to the realization that very wealthy and powerful people always have more in common with each other than they do with us. And they're above all the, the messy little everyday concerns. Uh, I think there's an, there's an attempt to whitewash George W. Bush. And you've got to remember what he did. He threw the entire Middle East into chaos, uh, effectively destroyed a country, Iraq, and we're still, and probably for years to come, dealing with the fallout from that. This seemed to bother Ellen, who's always been very much on, uh, purports to be on the left. So it's, that doesn't, you know, she, I, she says I'm, I'm, I'm friends with all different sort of people with, I, with, you know, don't have the same, uh, beliefs as I do, but I still have friends with them. Well, Bush, I, I consider to be a war criminal. Um, and she's in favor of LGBT rights, but, and maybe George W. Bush is not particularly homophobic, but certainly his evangelical allies are. And they would certainly have something to say about it. And uh, I just had got uh, responded with, "Well, what if she was sitting next to Obama or someone else?" And well, that's not really the point. The what? What if she was sitting next to Harvey Weinstein or Matt Lauer? Would it stand as well? And there's this notion that once a politician leaves office, do they get a free pass on everything they did? Uh, that's why I always applauded when people confronted uh, uh, McConnell in public, or uh, the last uh, 
what's her name? Um, I can't think of it. You know, the, uh, the press secretary. What they do in their professional lives aren't erased in their private lives. And that, and I think this comes back down to class because rich, powerful, uh, and effect and influential people have more in common with each other than they do with us. Um, and the dreaded three-minute cutoff of Google Voice. Can I just say, I'm very confused by the response of what if she was sitting next to Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer? I, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this whole thing. Um, I'm very conflicted in where I come down on it. Sure. But just knowing the discussion that is unfolding here the point of you bringing obama up i would assume is things like the civilian casualties in the drone war and things like that right um the the things that presidents do um the terrible things that presidents do because of the messy situation across the globe um that's the comparison that you were drawing. Yes. I believe. Yeah, for sure. And so it's for sure relevant. If you don't have criticism that she's sitting next to, uh, that she, if she's sitting next to Obama or having Obama on the show, then, or, or, you know, whatever, then why are you not, why is it really bother you about George Bush? It seems not about, and also I don't, this whole talking about class and then immediately pivoting to the war, there are, Tens, if not hundreds of millions of people in this country who are poor as fuck and agree with the Iraq war and who disagree. I don't think this is a class thing. Well, if it was about class, then Al would also be upset about Alan. I mean, about Ellen, (laughs) Helen, uh, (laughs) sitting with Obama, right? Because he's a rich guy. I think he I think he would. Oh, okay. But that was my problem with the conversation. That's why I ducked out. Because if you're not going to have the conversation, why am I expected to choose? It's play my reindeer game because we're having a conversation here. I'm going to point out something that I think is a flaw in your logic. If you don't want to have that conversation, then we're not having the same conversation. I shouldn't be here. I see. That's why I left. I see. But listen, I don't... I'm also a little bit conflicted. Mm-hmm. But even about the LGBT thing... Obama had to be dragged kicking and fucking screaming into uh, legalized marriage for LGBT individuals in this country. And we forget that now. It wasn't it wasn't like, oh, he's a champion. He's marching in pride parades. It wasn't until like 2012. Yeah, it wasn't until 20 fucking 12. I had been for gay marriage as a Republican a decade earlier. Then the Messiah of the Democrats, Barack Obama. Come on. If we're going to be playing this game and and adding these purity tests to people, because one, you got to ask yourself this. And this goes back to something we said a couple episodes ago about us. What do you think is in Ellen's heart? Do you think that she's just a rich people? Fuck all those little people. Or do you think she really genuinely cares? I don't, I can't answer for the audience, but I think that she is a beautiful, wonderful person who does as much as she possibly can for disadvantaged populations, for marginalized and oppressed populations. I think she's a good, decent person. 
And if she sits next to somebody you don't like, war criminal or rich person, whatever, look at her heart. What is her intent? I, I don't know. And whether conflicted or not, and I am, that's the metric I'm going to look at. What do I think of her? Every day, what is her, what's, the, what's the, the content of her character? What are the fruits of her existence? She's given away a lot of those Shutterfly checks. Yes. She, she has given away other companies' money a lot. But she also does her own charity stuff. No, I know. I'm, I'm making a yeah. joke. I, she, she has those people on that, like, teachers are doing something nice or, like, a, you know, someone is, like, volunteering a lot or whatever. She just, like, finds people all over the country that are doing good work and then brings them on her show to surprise them and give them money. And even if it's not her money, it's still... A nice thing. She's known for her charitable, her altruistic yeah. uh, uh, go doings. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, Alan, listen, uh, w w we value you as a listener. And even though maybe this didn't go down the way you think it should have uh, or that you were hoping it would with the conversation here, we don't mind. One, I'm not a big Facebook arguer. So it's, it's really not going to go down that often that I even make a comment. Yeah. But I thought this might be a productive conversation. It didn't go the way I did. I wanted it to, so I I ducked out, which is my that's my right. <laughs> I have the ability to do that, just like you do, leaving the group or whatever. But I always encourage people call in. We're not. I'm not afraid to. to I'm not going to hide. Like, oh, we're not going to play that voicemail. That was critical. We don't mind doing this. Mm -hmm. This is good. Mm -hmm. Moving the conversation forward. Absolutely. We'd also like to know what everybody else thinks. Yeah. Six five seven four six four. 7609, of course, email voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. And thank you, Al. Seriously. Sincerely, not sincerely, sincerely, thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. Next up, Mindy, Utah. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. It's Mindy from Vernal, Utah. I just wanted to call in and talk about. Um, the Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders health issue and why, you know, you guys are choosing Elizabeth over Bernie. Um, I was livid the other night listening to the podcast, listening to the caller that works in the cardiovascular unit. And at first I was really angry. I was really angry listening to a health professional make assumptions about, a politician's health, you know, anybody that works in the medical profession knows that you do not diagnose at a distance. And so I was angry. I was. And you guys have taught me to listen to the conversation, something I was not very good at a few years ago. And I kept listening and I ended up having to pause the recording. And this is corny and I'm so sorry if this is emotional, but... I decided to switch my support from Bernie to Elizabeth and this is heartbreaking for me because I have been with Bernie for years, for years and I have received a lot of strength from watching him fight for the things that affect me and affect my family and affect my neighbors and uh, I will forever be indebted to that man. But you made a great argument 
for why it makes sense to support Elizabeth. And I'm going to, and you are absolutely correct in saying that if, if, if Bernie would get behind Elizabeth Warren, and, and he should, his health is failing. He is aging and he has fought the hard fight. He has fought it. But what a beautiful, beautiful way to see your fight come to fruition in having Elizabeth get, get elected. And if he would do that, if he would just do that, there's nothing stopping us. So I just wanted to call in and tell you thank you for once again making me be reasonable and teaching me how to be reasonable. I love you guys and uh, you're both amazing. Brittany, you're the best part. Love you guys. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Well, Mindy, thank you so much for that um, beautiful voicemail. Um, thank you also for being a person who uses your ticker on the road because we could hear that. <laughs> um, aside from that, um, this is our favorite thing about doing this show, right? Um, when we receive voicemails from people and we hear the passion behind their voice, um, how invested they are in the things that are most important in life, right? Um, we could hear the emotion in your voice and that was so powerful. We are so thankful to you for, um, calling in and sharing that with us, sharing your story. Um, I do want to say that, I don't know about you and I'm not going to speak for you, Jesse, but I am still in a position where I haven't made an official decision yet. Right. I know who is at the top of my list. Right. But I'm still in a place where I'm waiting to see how things play out. I'm um, taking in additional information. Right. And she was referring to Amy, the the nurse that called in talking about um, Bernie Sanders and his health. Mm-hmm. And, I don't think that Amy was diagnosing from afar, right? I think that she was saying that there were some things that are still concerning to her, right? That she, there's some unanswered questions related to his health. Questions that maybe we can't answer, right? Or that we won't have answered. But we should have answered. And... That's me. That's not... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a a, a Britney addendum. That's just me inserting. Yeah. So, I'm, I, I guess I'm just trying to say that We don't need to necessarily be at a point where we're saying, I have to be done with this candidate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can, we can still have openness. We don't need to make a decision yet. You know, we're not, we're not there yet. It's okay to still be looking at other candidates to be taking new information in. Not only is it okay, that's what we should be doing. Right. So I love that Mindy has been all in for Bernie. And she's saying that she's kind of taking a step back, right? And taking new information in, because I think we should all be doing that, right? Even for the candidate that we prefer, we should all be looking at other candidates, kind of taking a step back, taking all the information in to ensure that we're making the best possible decision. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing that to the very end. Yeah, It's absolutely. like I said, last, last, not the last debate episode, but the episode before that, where I talked about... Listen, if, if if Elizabeth Warren suffers a heart attack tomorrow, I'm going to be shopping for somebody new. This isn't about Bernie Sanders and even his age. It's it's a compilation of many different things. 
Those two being chief among them, though, his 78, his advanced age, plus the health condition. It's a big, it's a big fucking deal. And the fact that there's two full presidential terms between those two individuals in age. She's 70, he's 78. And I'm not asking you to change your mind. And listen, I know that I, I bluster and I yell and I scream and I act like this is the only way. That's just how I talk. All I want you to do as an audience is to consider the possibility that maybe Bernie's too old. That maybe this heart condition is a disqualifier. I think it is. But if you don't think it is, I don't think you're fucking wrong. I just think you think about it differently. And that's what I loved so much about Mindy's uh, ah, I thought you were going to say about what I just said. No, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> is that she was listening to the show. And we just talked about this, right? Um, when we had a long-term Patreon supporter delete their pledge. And, and they were unhappy. And saying that we've become very judgmental over time. We're, we're two people who love to judge, but refuse to be judged or something like that. Yeah. And Mindy was listening to the show and getting pissed off. And hey, that's not the first time that's happened. <laughs> and, and it will not be the last. No, it's not. And what we love about it is that Mindy took the time to call in. Most importantly, this is what I love about it. I'm with you. Go ahead. And process it. Yeah. And talk it out. Um, there's going to be things that we disagree about. That is okay. We want that to happen, in fact. That's how we become better. That's how we become smarter. Yeah, I've said for years, the only person with whom I agree 100% of the time is me. And actually, sometimes that's not even true. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm conflicted about shit. Yeah. So it's something we all need to practice and learn how to do better. Um, but I appreciate Mindy not turning off the show. And turning it off for good and saying, you know what? Fuck them. Yeah. I don't agree with them. I'm out. Whatever. Um, That's prick shit, bro. Because That's prick shit. that would have made us both very sad. Yeah. Well, listen, it would have. Every time we lose uh, any listener, but any listener, especially that communicates with the show that sounds off, that is a loss. Yes. Th that's losing something you'll never get back because mm -hmm. that is perspective mm -hmm. that is unique to that that person yeah and once they're gone they're they're fucking gone so mindy thank you we we really truly appreciate you uh very much and on that note i want to read an email that we received this one is from josh hey guys i listened to episode 625 and took to heart what you said about people leaving the show because of disagreeing with something you say i typically only write into you when i do in fact have a dissenting thought on something you talk about and the main reason i wanted to become a patreon supporter in the first place is because you receive my disagreements with open arms and are willing to engage in a thought out way the other 90% of the time, I just enjoy the way you balance each other out with Britney's metered approach and Jesse's more bombast style. Ah, oh, he just means I'm a dick. <laughs> it's a great balance that I'm sure you've realized you have. I hope that people abandoning the show for these reasons isn't something you encounter often and just wanted to give you a friendly reminder that you have at least one listener who plans to stay with you precisely because you aren't afraid to be honest with your thoughts, even when you know there's a risk to lose listeners. Josh. And he brings up an awesome point, too, right? We know that people are going to disagree, but we can't 
we can't hold back how we feel about things, right? That's the whole point of all this. What kind of a show would we be, would this be, if we were like, what's the audience at large going to think? We better, let's adjust how we react to this because we want to please everybody. That would be a fucking terrible show. And also, impossible to do. Absolutely. So we appreciate uh, you, Josh. Thank you very much for that uh, voice memo. I, I mean, appreciate for the email. I'm getting I, all confused. I appreciate you too, but not quite as much as Brittany because you shit on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm glad to hear that when you have written in, when you have called in, that you feel your disagreements have been treated with respect. It's something that we're not perfect about, by the way. Especially um, me. And that's another thing that we're always trying to improve as well. You know, Um Sometimes I get fired up, too, um, especially online. <laughs> and um, it's always something that we're working on. For right? sure. Trying to be better, trying to move the conversation forward. And we appreciate the audience's assistance with that. Speaking of assistance, actually not speaking of assistance at all. Is there any more emails? All right. Moving on. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. I just realized that when I said, are there any more voicemails, you shook your head at me. You didn't speak into the microphone, and I just said, all right, like you'd answered. Yeah, I forgot that we're doing... A podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, here we go. We're going to read this list of new Patreon supporters. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Keith. Keith. Um, Neo Normie. Yes, I wasn't the man who shot Liberty Valance. Neo Normie. That's all you're getting. Okay. <laughs> Greg. Greg. Michael. Michael. Ronald. Ronald. Wendell. Wendell. Andrea. Andrea. And Patrick. And Patrick. Thank you so very much for your beautiful support of the show. Fantastic. We appreciate you all so much. Listen, there are other ways that you can support the show in addition to Patreon. You can shop through the Amazon link, dollamore.com slash Amazon. That is, of course, if you want to support Jeff Bezos and his growing empire and dominance over the entire world. Al from Toronto isn't going to want to do that. Just in sh- I'm I'm just making sure you guys know what you're getting yourself into with that. Listen, okay? Th- this is the other thing is we are shooting ourselves right in the dick by reminding everybody what a fucking rich scoundrel he is. Yeah. If you're going to do it, yeah. If you're already going to do that. Mhm. Use the Dollamore link. Yeah, might as so, well. So you're taking money out of his pocket and it's giving it to us. Yeah. I mean, it's never going to get us to, to be able to build a fucking spacecraft, but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it buys us some coffee. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, also, Dollamore.net for the Teespring store where you can buy Dollamore logoed mugs, uh, t shirts, sweatshirts. Whatever you want. The Treason 45 shirts. There's Treason shirts. There's Classy Laid shirts. Yeah, Dollamore Daily. Yep. There's all kinds of stuff. So go check that out. Um, if you are not in a buying mood, though, it's not just buying things. Or that you can position. Support. Yeah. Um, you can also just listen to the show. 
which is something that we're very, very thankful. You goddamn better do. Oh, wait, that's not thankful. That's expectation. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> also, rating and reviewing us on iTunes is a very helpful thing as well. Make sure you keep those profanity free, though, because they will not post them. Um, we also want to remind you, we talked about this on the previous episode, uh, not the debate episode, the one before that, that our Thanksgiving episode is coming up. Yeah. And we want you to be thinking about the past year, what you're thankful for, and remember that it is a family-friendly show that we do every year for Thanksgiving. We want you to send a voice memo, record in a quiet place, and uh, profanity-free. Tell us what you are thankful for. We put those all together in an episode and talk about what we're thankful for. We cover some positive news stories, and then we play a compilation of listeners talking about what happened to them over the the previous year and what they're thankful for. It's always one of our favorite episodes. We hope that you take the time to participate in it and make sure you keep your name out of there too, because it is anonymous. Yeah. Anonymous. You don't, don't say we're thankful for the show. That'll get taken out. It just creates more work. If you tell us that you love us, because it's a lot of that. And while we appreciate it immensely, we do. Yeah. It's really not what the episode's about. So, Uh, Dollamore, uh, I doubt it at com. That's the email address. Good times. All right. Moving on. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So for weeks and weeks now, we have been in the middle of this Ukraine quid pro quo situation, this extortion, this bribery call that Donald Trump had with Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. It has been nothing like that happened. The call was perfect. The call was beautiful. The call was perfect, perfect, perfect. No quid pro quo. No quid pro quo. They released the transcript. It's obviously a quid pro quo. And still, no quid pro quo, no, there was no condition, no, no, no. Well, Mick Mulvaney, the acting um, attorney general, the acting chief of staff, what in the hell is going on? The White House uh, acting White House chief of staff took to the podium, one, to announce that Donald Trump has awarded himself a contract worth millions and millions and millions of dollars to host the G7 at his at his resort, Doral. Yeah. But in the midst of that, questions were asked about this phone call and the conditions on which money, hundreds of millions of dollars were placed on military aid. The latest bombshell came from acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney admitting there was indeed a quid pro quo to pressure Ukraine. And that followed the brazen announcement that the president is awarding the G7 summit to his own Florida resort. And it was our Jonathan Carl who asked that question that got the extraordinary answer from Mick Mulvaney. He starts us off this morning from the White House. Good morning, John. Good morning, Cecilia. Mick Mulvaney is the key player here because he is the official who the president directed to freeze aid to Ukraine. And when he responded to my questions, he was crystal clear about why the president wanted him to do it. Did he also mention to me in the past that the, 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 the corruption related to the DNC server? 
Absolutely. No question about that. Um, but that's it. And that's why we held up the money. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney repeatedly insisted the president did nothing wrong. So the demand for an investigation into the Democrats was part of the reason that he ordered to withhold funding to Ukraine. The look back to what happened in 2016 certainly was, was part of the thing that he was worried about in corruption with that nation. And that is absolutely appropriate. But to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the Democratic server uh, happens as well. We do that all the time with foreign policy. And I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. Mulvaney's words, which he later took back, directly contradicted what the president has been saying for weeks. But there was no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. And it seemed to confuse his allies on Capitol Hill. He admitted that aid, military aid to Ukraine was frozen in part to pressure, to put pressure on Ukraine to investigate Democrats. So Mick Mulvaney just said what you said? Yes. <laughs> Okay, I, I don't know. I'd like to know what that means. Democrats who have been investigating whether there was a quid pro quo pounced. Things have just gone from very, very bad to much, much worse. Mulvaney said exactly what was going on. There was a quid pro quo. All this unfolded as the president confirmed that his secretary of energy, Rick Perry, a main player in the administration's dealings with Ukraine, is resigning. The reason? Unclear. Rick has done a fantastic job at energy, but it was time. About five hours after Mulvaney's press conference, he put out a written statement that effectively denied saying what he said. Uh, Mulvaney accused, quote, the media of misconstruing his remarks and then said, quote, there was absolutely no quid pro quo between Ukrainian military aid and any investigation into the 2016 election. But that is not what he said at the press conference. In fact, when I directly asked him if there was a quid pro quo. He said, quote, we do that. We do that all the time with foreign policy. George, it was interesting that Mulvaney's written statement came after the president's outside legal team put out a statement saying that they had nothing to do with his press conference. Yeah, and the Justice Department said they were surprised as well. It was such a big surprise to see him say that about no quid pro quo, but this press conference was called uh, to announce that the G7 summit was being awarded to President Trump's hotel. And we're going to get to that, the G7 thing. But he gets up in front of the cameras and says, yeah, we did that. Get over it. There's going to be politics in diplomacy. That's that's the way we operate. And when he is talking about we, he's not talking about we, the United States of America. He's talking about we, the Trump White House, this administration. That's how we do things. Now, I'm glad that Jonathan Carl there. I'm glad that he didn't say he walked back his statement with his his clarification. It's not even really a clarification. He just says something completely different than what he said in the press conference. Do we have it? Yeah, we do have it. But before I read it, I want to kind of toot my own horn a little bit. Oh. Um, not because I remember. I'm teasing. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't get the horn. Sure. Here you go. Ah, uh, I wanted to take it all in, you know, silence, respect, just listen to the horns. Well, especially since it doesn't happen very often to you, so. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I got this tweet from at sarcasmqueen01. 
And they said, remember when you said we'd get to a place where they'd openly admit it and say, so what? And then they sent the video of yeah. Mick Mulvaney admitting this. So I don't really remember saying that specifically. But I think I did. Um, you must have. Yeah. But uh, here we are at the point where they say, so what? Yeah. Right. And by must have, I mean, you must have. Must have. You must have. You mm. must have done it. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's the statement from acting. I am to, to kill you with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. It's from Sling Blade, in case anyone is very confused. French fried taters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the most uh, mm. current reference that you're making there, but we it's appreciate it. for me. It. We've been talking about it for like two weeks. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is the statement from acting uh, White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. Quote, once again, the media has decided to misconstrue my comments to advance a biased and political witch hunt against President Trump. Let me be clear. There was absolutely no quid pro quo between Ukrainian military aid and any investigation into the 2016 election. We just fucking heard you say it. The president never told me to withhold any money until the Ukrainians did anything related to the server. The only reasons we were holding the money was because of concern about lack of support from other nations and concerns over corruption. Multiple times during the more than 30-minute briefing where I took over 25 questions, I referred to President Trump's interest in rooting out corruption in Ukraine and ensuring taxpayer dollars are spent reasonably and appropriately. There was never any connection between the funds and the Ukrainians doing anything with the server. This was made explicitly obvious by the fact that the aid money was delivered without any action on the part of the Ukrainians regarding the server. There was never any condition on the flow of the aid related to the matter of the DNC server. So I like how he's trying to say... Basically, I said more times that this was about corruption than I did about the quid pro quo in the 30 minutes and the 25 questions. So because I said that more times than the other thing, you can see that it's the the reason why. The other thing doesn't count. Yeah. Listen, if I say I love you 99 times and fuck you, I hate you 98 times. The others don't count. I love you. Yeah. A lot of love going around. <laughs> Just ignore the other stuff. Uh, so anyway, this is a rapidly sinking ship. Oh, yeah. And the rats are ejecting themselves into the water to swim away from the carnage. We have Fiona Hill. We have Marie Yovanovitch. We have all of these ambassadors within the, uh, the, the, the State Department who are defying Pompeo. His order that we're not cooperating, and they're like, uh, yeah, but I'm going to cooperate. Sondland, yeah. mm-hmm. he he also came out and said, listen, I was very bothered by Trump. This is Trump, Trump, Trump. This is not me. Sondland is the U- EU ambassador. That's right. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, there's no reason why he would, if he has the European Union in his portfolio of interest, and in his portfolio of action, there's no reason why he should be dealing with Ukraine Except for the fact, but for the fact that he gave a million dollars to the inauguration fund of Donald Trump and ended up with the EO ambassadorship. He is a political operator, not a lifetime uh, diplomat. Well, and you mentioned Fiona Hill. Let's just quickly talk about um, sure, sure. what's going on there. Fiona Hill, who was until recently Donald Trump's top aide um, on Russia and Europe, plans to tell Congress that Rudy Giuliani 
and the EU ambassador Gordon Sondland circumvented the National Security Council and the normal White House process to pursue a shadow policy on Ukraine. Yes. So, like you said. Scary. It is... Remember how slow the Mueller investigation was? Yes. And how... Yes, I do. (laughs) And how it just went on and on and on, and it seemed like it was never going to end. Well, it, it, it... even in retrospect, it, w- it went on even longer because I expected there to be like, dun, 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 when it came out. And then it was, wop, wop, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't have that problem right now. No, we don't. We have um, breaking news after breaking news. Yeah. That's the closest to a breaking news that I've got. With people coming out, people ready to testify. Um, people with more information on what's going on behind the scenes, ready to come forward. They're lining, they're volunteering, they're lining up to yeah, come. Yeah. To get, to say what they know. Yeah. It's moving fast. This is not going to end well. This is, there's no way this can end well for the Trump administration. Rick, Rick, I almost said Rick Fury. Rick Perry <laughs> just bailed out. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It's one of those deals where the devil you know might be better than the devil you don't know. Mm-hmm. Who knows who's going to be the energy secretary next? Do you well something else that happened this he, week? He also, by the way, is saying he's not going to comply with the subpoena. Yeah, but go ahead. Good, um, good. I goodbye. Mean, fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so John Bolton, you remember him? Oh yeah, the walrus guy. Yeah. Um, he also was a part of the breaking news this week because John Bolton instructed an aide to report Rudy Giuliani and his pressure campaign Fiona Hill to a White House lawyer. Yeah. Quote, I am not part of whatever drug deal Rudy and Mulvaney are cooking up, yeah. Bolton said, according to testimony to House investigators. Yeah, that the, the aide <laughs> we're talking about is the person who went and testified before the House Intelligence Committee. Yeah. All day. Mm-hmm. And by the way. It is in, it's behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So anything that's positive for the side of impeaching and removing Donald Trump from office isn't going to be talked about by Republicans. They're not going to leak that shit. And so far, Democrats have been pretty good about not leaking this information. That's the other aspect of this that Republicans are criticizing right now, which is the fact that this is all being done in secret. Like that's some abnormality. If they're trying to treat this like a grand jury proceeding, it would be done in secret. So where they can gather their disparate elements of facts, piece together the facts of the situation to put an investigation together, to then draw articles of impeachment based on the secret grand jury type testimony that they got. That's what they're doing. They're actually doing it pretty wisely. I've said from the beginning... Not to toot my own horn, but this this should be done in secret. And then when when we will find out what we need to know that's relevant. Because when you do it in public, they turn it into a fucking circus because the cameras are on. So not to interfere with... Um, I'm done. Go ahead. Okay. Um, John Bolton is also said to be um, behind a lot of the leaks that have been coming out. I think it's said more accurately that Donald Trump fears that John Bolton is the one behind the leaks. Thank you for correcting me. That is absolutely what I meant to say. Oh, are, you, are you being a dick right now? No, I can't believe I'm the worst right now. <laughs> are you Are you being a dick right now? 
No, I'm oh. not being a dick. I'm being oh. serious. What's wrong with you? Well, I thought you were just ribbing me a little bit. No, that's absolutely correct. What the hell is my problem? Um, this is according to the Daily Beast. Yeah. So according to the Daily Beast, they found like three sources that are saying the same thing, that Donald Trump believes all of these leaks to the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, um, that it's coming from John Bolton. Yeah. Because when he left, <laughs> yeah. they did not... It wasn't good. Yeah, they did not maintain like a friendly connection yeah, there are pictures he learned of his firing through a tweet again of course mm-hmm. and uh he was left outside the white house while pompeo and uh the twitchy guy mnuchin mm-hmm. went up there and talked in front of the in, in the press briefing room so it wasn't good the yeah. way they fired him like anyone else that got fired it wasn't good bitter terms yeah for sure and john bolton is also writing a book right now about his time yeah, he is. Uh, with Donald Trump. so Just take my money already. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to buy that I trash. I'm not think... going to support John Bolton. Yeah, I, I, I'm making a joke. Okay, well, I'm standing on principle. Wow. I don't like your joke. You're very principled. Yeah, I'm yeah. super principled. Yeah, fuck me and Ellen for sitting next to George W. Bush. <laughs> anyway, next up, we're going to talk about the Donald Trump awarding himself a multi-million dollar no-bid contract... For the G7. With Doral, we have a series of magnificent buildings. We call them bungalows. They each hold from 50 to 70 very luxurious rooms. Oh, my God. With magnificent God. views. We have incredible conference rooms, what incredible restaurants. And QVC? Also, is Miami. <laughs> and we have many hundreds of acres so that in terms of parking, in terms of all of the things that you need, uh, the ballrooms are among the biggest in Florida and the best. Welcome back. That was President Trump at this year's G7 floating the idea of hosting next year's summit at a property that he owns. Well, yesterday, after acting White House Chief of Staff made it official, The Washington Post noted, quote, that decision is without precedent in modern American history. The president used his public office to direct a huge contract to himself. Now, Democrats want to know how the government chose Trump to route and if any other sites were even under consideration. They also want answers to questions the administration is withholding, like how much the president stands to make off of this deal and how much taxpayer money will be spent in the process. Washington Post political reporter, MSNBC contributor David Farenthold, is following this story, and he really follows all the stories when it comes to the Trump businesses and the Trump properties. He's the go-to guy for all things related to how... The Trump family businesses and the federal government have been interacting. David, nice to see you. You too. Um, here are the questions. It's things we don't have an answer for. I guess we, you seem to get some explanation as to what other sites did they look at? Is it, was it serious? Do you, do you Very know? little. I mean, so they've said they looked at 11 other sites and, and they were all worse than Doral. In Miami or no, 11 other sites all the over the country? But they won't say almost anything about where they are. They won't say what they are. The only thing we know about them is that one of them was so high in the mountains that if you wanted to have a meeting, you'd have to give the leaders oxygen. And so they're okay, saying, so, oh, well, that's that's out. Well, who would have proposed that? Yeah, who put that on the list? Yeah. That's the thing. Is like if you if your list was like a campground at the top of top of Mount McKinley yeah. and a Chuck E. Cheese and Doral, then Doral was the best place, you yeah. know. And so we need to know who those other sites were to say anything about this process. Well, and there's also some major security concerns with Doral. Look, it, 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 in Miami, the easiest place to do this is like they did in Georgia with Sea Island, Key Biscayne. Yeah. Because you, it's a, it's a lot easier to secure all those world leaders. Key Biscayne is right there. Right. Uh, and it actually touches saltwater, which is why people mostly go to Miami. Doral's right on the Miami uh, airport flight paths. I mean, I think one of my reporters was telling me there's like 20 different flight paths that are going to have to be diverted. 
And it's surrounded by office parks and neighborhoods and streets. You're right. Mostly these things are done in places that are luxurious, obviously, but isolated. Correct. Easy to seal off. Sea Island's a great example. Look what the French did. They did it essentially in the Riviera, where you can sort of lock it out. Yeah, it's it's got water on one side. You seal it off on the other. That's the thing. This is such a security nightmare to put it in the middle of a neighborhood where you're going to have to have the neighbors coming and going. It's, It's not ideal. Mick Mulvaney went out of his way to say the president's not going to profit from this. Well, okay. There's not losing money and there's profiting. Right now, Trump Doral is uh, basically because they lost the famous golf tournament um, due to the president's behavior and mm-hmm. the golf tournament left that facility. It has lost its place in the golf touring yep. uh, tourism business. Mm-hmm. Pinehurst, you'd go to Pinehurst or you'd go out to there. You'd hit the Blue Monster at Doral. Mm-hmm. But that no longer is an attraction. Right. The resort, from what we've seen, we've seen Trump Organization documents, it's in pretty sharp decline mm-hmm. from 2015 to 2017. So just two years, the net operating income, basically profitability, dropped 70 percent. They're not getting golf tourists anymore. No. And tr- Trump's name is driving away people that might have come there otherwise. In fact, the Trump Organization's representative blamed Trump's name as the cause of this decline. What uh, is there an agency like if the Pentagon did a no bid contract, what would happen to that? I mean, I believe we've had instances like this where a Pentagon official who used to work for a company somehow orchestrates a no-bid contract. Right. Or in this case, if you own a company, right, if you were a Pentagon contracting officer and you gave a giant no-bid contract to yourself, that's illegal. You'd go to jail for that. So I saw saw a tweet that um, summarized this issue pretty well. It was from a professor, and they retweeted the story about Trump. And said that um, they don't even assign their own book in their classes. Yeah. Well, that's I don't think that's super common. I think a lot of professors assign their own fucking book. Yeah. Well, this person is yeah. more principled. Right. 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 It, what, what he just said there at the very end, by the way, Dave Fahrenheit is legit. During the campaign, he was the one who was uncovering the fact that Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, we're going to. I'm going to skip the debate. We're going to raise money for veterans. And then none of the money went to veterans until David Fahrenholtz reporting from the Washington Post. Yeah. He's top notch. Top notch. (laughs) Brittany and I watched uh, one of those, uh, one of those scared straight documentaries one time. We did. Yeah, I remember the kids and they went to the jail and he's like, I just want to make one of them guards laugh. If I can get that done, that'd be top notch. <laughs> the one, the little white trash kid. I don't remember and that at all. ever since then, I love I've saying top notch oh because every God. time I say it, you have that reaction. Like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> anyway, would be t- he's top notch. So, okay. <laughs> so listen, this is an absolute violation of the Constitution of the United States on its face. There's no fucking argument here. And it's not just me saying that. Judge Napolitano from Fox News is clear about this. And there's a point that when he said it, I'm like, holy shit. This is so true. During the presser with Mick Mulvaney and his little John Lennon glasses... He over and over and over and over said, this isn't for profit. He's not going to be, well, I don't believe this. I think this is a fucking lie. 
But no, Donald Trump's not going to make a profit on this. It's not going to be for profit. They're doing this at cost. Blah, 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 blah. Also, listen, did you not hear the infomercial that he was giving about yeah. the parking we and the them, bungalows? We call them bungalows. It's a word we made up to describe these little buildings. Oh, my God. A fucking idiot. Anyway, listen to Napolitano, who is no friend to Democrats. He is not a liberal. He is a Fox News mainstay. Spillover effect from that, even at cost, is very good for whatever event locale you choose. But again, um, they are arguing that this is not a violation of the Monuments Clause where someone is profiting off of something. I believe Judge Anna Napolitano has a different notion of that. What do you think? Well, uh, Neil, it's not my notion. It's the Constitution's notion. When the Constitution does not attract, does not address profits, it addresses any present, as in a gift, any emolument, as in cash, of any kind, whatever. I'm quoting the emoluments clause from any king, prince, or foreign state. So if this were a meeting of the governors of the United States, there'd be no emoluments clause problem. The purpose of the emoluments clause is to keep the president of the United States of America from profiting off of foreign money. Here we go again, not in the campaign, but in some event or entity that he controls or is running. He has bought himself an enormous headache now with uh, the choice of this. This is about as direct and profound a violation of the emoluments clause as one could create. All right, we should explain again, doing a little bit of research here for the, the Trump business. Uh, and I'm not saying this is the president himself, but it extended to his family. This particular locale is the biggest moneymaker for the Trump family. So I, I know a little bit having covered numerous G7 events all over the world over my career. Uh, Whatever you might lose, because they probably do lose a little bit, given the fact that no one else can go to these venues when the world leaders are there. So it's in lockdown. But again, the carryover, the spillover that if you go to Sea Island today, they still have the flags of the countries and trees that were planted. It's a great you know, draw to people who visit. Wow, this is where the foreign right. leaders are. So it has a spillover effect. Well, most respectfully, um, Mr. Mulvaney's focus on profit, while it may make sense in the economic world, is not what the framers were concerned about. They were concerned about a gift or cash coming directly or indirectly to the president of the United States, even if it's done at a loss. Now, the president owns shares of stock in a corporation that is one of the owners of this, along with many other investors. He also owns shares of stock in the corporation that manages it. So the, that, those corporations will receive a great deal of money from foreign heads of state because this is there. That's exactly, exactly what the Emoluments Clause was written to prohibit. And it does lift the, the stature, the status of the resort in question. Now, uh, Nick Mulvaney was saying, you know, we looked at all the pot. This is the only one we could find. Well, I'm not a golfer. I play miniature golf, so <laughs> that might count. But there are tons of them around everywhere. Now, I, I understand with this particular facility, it is large enough to accommodate everybody. They can all be on site to hear McMulvaney say, well, I think that was the same at Sea Island. It was certainly that way at Camp David if all the leaders wanted to stay in the neighborhood. So there's an appeal from a security perspective. But if, if it has the name Trump on it, I think you would bend over backwards to avoid that. This seems to me to be an urgent an urgent enough matter that why is the court fucking around with this dallying with this 
get to it. Make a ruling. Get this to the Supreme Court if that's where it's going to end up as quickly as possible. Because every single day of Donald Trump's presidency, he is profiting mightily, handsomely from his office by way of the violation of the emoluments clause. If this is something that our founders and our founding documents specifically guarded against, wanted to guard against, wanted to prevent, why in the fuck is it taking us three plus years to get it resolved? No good. The other no good thing, well, before we do that, 657-464-7609. Email your comments in voice memo form from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We talked about this last episode, the debate episode. Tulsi Gabbard doing her uh, endless ongoing regime chain war. Her mantra. It's her new thing. She loves it. Mm. Hillary Clinton went on a podcast, not this podcast. I'm not sure if you know. She's probably never going to come on this podcast. No. A a podcast called Campaign HQ, I Mm. believe. Mm -hmm. And she had some things to say about Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. And we're going to play the short snippet here. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic (laughs) primary and are grooming her to be the third-party candidate. She's a favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her Mm -hmm. so far. And that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not, because she's also a Russian uh, asset. Now this... I don't know how to address this, because, well, I I know how to address it. I just want to be careful. Tulsi Gabbard, I'm not a fan of Tulsi Gabbard. I think that's pretty clear based on the last episode and and previous to that and my Twitter feed and, you know, just generally my, my, my general outlook on things. Not a fan of, uh, Congresswoman Gabbard. Also not a, not a fan of uh, Hillary Clinton, but this is that notwithstanding, this is irresponsible of Hillary Clinton. And I wasn't always of that opinion because I got caught up in the, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard, blah, blah, blah. And this is kind of goes back to Min- <laughs> this goes back to Mindy's thing. She was angry listening to us talk about Bernie. And I was angry listening to Van Jones on CNN react to this. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? This is what a shitty hot take. This is so fucking dumb. And then when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, he's fucking right. Anyway, now that you're confused about what he may have said, here it is. Uh, I'm, she's playing a very dangerous game. <clears throat> I mean, Hillary Clinton, uh, if you're concerned about disinformation, if you're concerned what the Russians do is they, dis- they spread disinformation, they get us divided against each other. That is what just happened. Just throw out some information, disinformation, smear somebody. She is Hillary Clinton. She's a legend. She is, she's going to be in the history books. She's a former nominee of our party. And she just came out against a sitting U.S. Congresswoman, a decorated war veteran, 
and somebody who's running for the nomination of our party with just a complete smear and no facts. I, I, she called her a Russian asset <clears throat> as a fact. And as you point out, sitting U.S. Congresswoman. A sitting U.S. Congresswoman. Now, mm-hmm. this is not, this is a very, very dangerous game. And there's a backstory here. And there's two sides to every story. Let's not forget, Tulsi Gabbard was picked out by the Democratic Party establishment and put at the top of the DNC. They thought she was going to be their golden girl. And she got in, in that position, the DNC, and she looked around. She saw Debbie Wasserman Schultz and other people, Clinton allies, doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing in the primary. And he'll, and, and Tulsi publicly quit and then yeah. endorsed Bernie Sanders. And it's been payback hell ever since. And that's since. what we are here. But payback I mean, hell ever you know, since. You know, now, now remember that. That is something that happened. And I do think that Hillary Clinton probably has a fucking axe to grind here. That's what I think. It, it makes sense to me that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. But it is irresponsible, like Van Jones said there, for her to make blanket accusations as though they are fact if she had some evidence then give us the evidence right then fucking right on it's also what a gift what a gift hillary clinton has given tulsi gabbard who has already been trying to um talk about the dnc and the corporate media and how they're trying to um interfere with her campaign it was a stupid move yeah and tulsi gabbard tweeted in response to this. Oh, my God. Yeah, for sure. Great. Thank you, at Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption, and the personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain. From the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know. It was always you. Through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine, afraid of the threat I pose. <laughs> Doesn't this kind of sound like Dana Lash yeah, wrote this? Yeah, for sure. Um. Anyway, continuing. It's now clear that this primary is between you and me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cower. What a fucking dum dum. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. She's doing the same thing Hillary Clinton is. Now we know there was a deep state conspiracy behind every shadowy corner. She doesn't have any evidence either. Hillary Clinton just made some comments. A couple of fucking idiots. So I'm going to read to you um, on Tulsi Gabbard's website, gabbard.house.gov. There's a section here, um, Q&A with Tuesday group. I can't find a date on this, but in one of the questions, someone said, why didn't you sign the letter denouncing Steve Bannon? Hmm. Okay. I'm going to read you Tulsi Gabbard's answer. Okay. When I worked for Senator Akaka in the U.S. Senate, former Hawaii senator with uh, who who served alongside James Inouye, I saw how he always treated everyone with aloha, even if they were bitter political opponents. He inspired me to do the same. I reject I reject the politics of personal destruction that have become the norm in our society. Mm. I refuse to treat others with contempt. I focus not on personalities, but on issues and policies. Okay, this was her perspective on Steve Bannon. Now I'm going to read to you. White supremacist Steve Bannon. Now I'm going to read to you her reaction to Ellen DeGeneres sitting with George W. Bush. Oh, okay. This is just to put in context, right? Tulsi Gabbard calling Hillary Clinton the queen of warmongers, the embodiment of corruption. 
the and personification then, and, of the rots. Right, and, and and Steve Bannon just being, oh, he just has a different opinion about things. He has the aloha, everybody. Yeah, god damn. Um, <laughs> I haven't even heard what this next thing is, and I'm already pissed off. Well, Ellen, so this is her take on Ellen's response to the backlash of her sitting with George W. Bush. Okay, she tweeted, at the Ellen Show's message of being kind to all is so needed right now. Enough with the divisiveness. We can't let politics tear us apart. There are things we will disagree on strongly and things we agree on. Let's treat each other with respect, aloha, and work together for the people. So she gives Steve Bannon the aloha. And George W. Bush. But Hillary Clinton is the queen of warmongering. That was a little reverberation inside my mouth, Brittany Page. You were very alarmed. I was like, what is that? Queen. How's that? Better? Yeah, that's better. Uh, (laughs) We need to wrap this up because I'm ready to fucking fall asleep. Listen, but the point of this is that that she's not being some principled person yeah right with her attack on hillary yeah. clinton this is how whatever suits her the best in the moment is what she's gonna say absolutely yeah. this is based on getting more political attention which is why i'm so pissed that hillary clinton did this yeah you know gave I, her a fucking gift yeah just just Tulsi must have been so yeah. happy when she opened up her phone and saw all of this news breaking just thrilled yeah because it gives her more attention she's she already met the uh donor threshold to, to make it into the november debate the uh, only thing she's trying oh, to get is the, is the polling yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, threshold now now hillary clinton has given her an edge up on that right it, right it's not for sure i think she did enough damage the problem is that she just did enough damage you don't need to go on a fucking podcast and give her the boost hillary Seasoned political operator. Yeah. God damn. So good times. Uh, what? Where did we come down on that? Uh, no F- one. Fuck them both. Yeah. No one did. <laughs> <laughs> no one was doing anything beneficial there. No good. Perfect. Ah. Uh, What's wrong with you? Just so bothered. <laughs> You're gonna be okay. Am I though? Yeah. This next story is gonna cheer you up. It's the asshole of today. It is a police robot. No, it's not. Yes. Are you kidding me? No, it's a police robot. Then how is this not taking care of biz? Well, that's the thing. I'm pretty terrified of robots, and I am afraid of what is to come in terms of their takeover and their putting us into slavery. <laughs> their, their takeover. Um, We're but, talking about police robots! But... <laughs> Coming to get you. Oh, God. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! No, no, no. It's actually the opposite of that. Now I am completely relaxed. I'm excited for the robots to come. <laughs> They're apparently all idiots. We s- have nothing to worry about whatsoever. I, now I'm confused. Which is it? Well, my fear is unfounded, apparently. <laughs> Because this police robot, all right, in Huntington Park, California. Oh, that's nearby. What happened was a woman witnessed a fight breakout. And she was in Salt Lake Park in Los Angeles. Okay. She witnessed this fight breakout. She ran over to the police robot, the HP RoboCop, who was just hanging out in the vicinity. We don't even have fucking flying cars and we've got police robots? Well, just get ready for what it did, okay? It's not that great. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, she pushed the button, okay, to um, indicate that there was an emergency. It had an emergency alert button. Okay. And <laughs> it said, step out of the way. That's what it responded to her. The robot said that. Step out of the way. Step out of the way. Right. And then she said it just kept ringing and ringing, and she kept pushing the emergency button, like trying to get some help from this robot. Because there was an emergency happening. Yeah. So then she thought, okay, maybe it needs to see my face in order for it to work. So she like got down in front of the camera to try to show her face. Yeah. That didn't work. Um, so after wasting all of this time trying to get help from the police robot, she just decided to take out her phone and call 911. <laughs> she just got and talked to the robot in her pocket. And the the people that were in the fight, like someone had a terrible head wound. Really? Like, yeah, it was like a bad Wait, situation. They, is there a picture of the robot? W- what does the robot look like so we can... I, I would really like to be able to put the whole picture together. There is a picture of the robot. All right. What's it look like? It's egg-shaped, and it says police on it. Egg-shaped? Yeah. You mean like like Rosie on the Jetsons? Like it's... I guess she's kind of... She, that's not egg-shaped yeah, she's not at all. Egg-shaped she's like all. round and... You like R2-D2? It's, uh... uh no, R2-D2 is also round. I'm talking egg-shaped, like an egg, Jesse. Like an egg pointed at the top. Oh, okay, yeah, but like a full half... Or at the bottom. A half egg. Yeah. So like a half egg. Yeah, like a half egg shape. A fucking egg that just rolls around. <laughs> it's like a weeble wobble. What the fuck? Okay, anyway, I'm not done with my story, okay? So after she tried to get help for this robot, people are like dying. No one <laughs> dying. is getting help. She said that it just rolled away and was humming, quote, an intergalactic tune. Are you kidding? <laughs> It like whistled its way away, and then it paused. Move out of the way. <laughs> it paused periodically to say, "Please keep the park clean." <laughs> that's that's doing the people's work right there. So anyway, they say that this is still in its testing phase, and that it like isn't working for this purpose yet. Um, so that's why. So why it's... does it have a call button on the front of the fucking robot? I don't know. Honestly, it shouldn't be roaming around if it's in a testing phase and none of these features are actively working. You know what I mean? Because this probably, woman, they're probably spending a bunch of money too. Yeah, this woman did the right thing, right? She saw the dumb robot and she <laughs> thought, "Oh, the robot overlords are here. They are better than us. They'll save the day." <laughs> and then she was completely betrayed. Right. And Total betrayal. Th- yeah. So I hope the people that were in the fight are okay eh, they, Hope, they chose their hopefully own they learn some coping skills yeah. so that they don't get into physical fights in the future right um and <laughs> wow to this robot thank you for helping me with my fears i am now not afraid of robots you are worthless <laughs> <laughs> the future is not here yet yes taking care of biz Bernie Sanders. Ah, Bernie Sanders taking care of biz. Yeah, Bernie Sanders held a rally today um, where Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, endorsed him. Yeah, I think her and Ilhan Omar and the squad, I think they did. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, maybe? Uh, no, am I stuff up? I don't know about all that. All um, right. People are only talking about AOC that so far. That might not be the case, then. Disregard what I said. Um, thousands of people attended the rally. Yeah, as I would expect, yeah. And 
um, we couldn't get audio of this, but this quote is floating around Twitter, um, his closing remarks at the rally. And I loved this message so much that I wanted to read it in the Taking Care of Biz segment because it's very beautiful. So here we go. I want you all to take a look around and find someone you don't know. Maybe somebody who doesn't look kind of like you. Maybe somebody who might be from a different religion than you. Maybe they come from a different country. My question now to you is, are you willing to fight for that person who you don't even know as much as you're willing to fight for yourself? Are you willing to stand together and fight for those people who are struggling economically in this country? Are you willing to fight for young people drowning in student debt, even if you are not? Are you willing to fight to ensure that every American has health care as a human right, even if you have good health care? Are you willing to fight for frightened immigrant neighbors, even if you are native born? Are you willing to fight for a future of generations of people who have not even been born, but are entitled to live on a planet that is healthy and habitable? Because if you are willing to do that, if you are willing to love, if you are willing to fight for a government of compassion and justice and decency, if you are willing to stand up to Trump's desire to divide us up, if you are prepared to stand up to the greed and corruption of the corporate elite, if you and millions of others are prepared to do that, there is no doubt in my mind that not only will we win this election, but together we will transform this country. Thank you all very much. Bernie Sanders. Pretty goddamn beautiful. Moving. Yeah. Also, Bernie, I think, always rolls sans teleprompter. Mm. So that's just... Even better. That's just rolling out of his brain. But what a juxtaposition. Yeah, no kidding. From the hell that comes out of Donald Trump's face at every rally that yeah. he attends. Fear everyone else. Just the disgusting hatred and vitriol. Us against them. Yeah. Um, just self-importance. It's disgusting. Yeah. And here you have him asking those thousands of people in the audience to turn and look around. Yeah. And find someone who doesn't look like you. Find someone who doesn't come from your background. And think about what they're going through. It's the ideal progressive message, the ideal message for the Democrats moving in deeper into this century. And this is what should be centered in the Democratic debates, right? And I don't think that this message is being centered enough, you know? And by centered, I mean, like, a feature being made prominent, being made the most important. um, Well, especially, like, we hear talk about the, the student loans, like, yeah. Well, I had to pay my student loans. Why should you not have to pay yours? Yeah. It's like, fuck, man. Just that's not how we're going to get ahead here. Yeah. So I I thought that this was really important to read. We are thankful to Bernie Sanders for saying that, for encouraging um, that beautiful message. And yeah. Awesome. We're, we're going to wrap the show. All right. We're going to leave you there. We love you. We appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email us a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. We love you guys. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Love your show and all you guys are about, fuckers. Ho, 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 bitches. <laughs> what?